Hey, online church, so glad you're watching the message today. Listen, I'm preaching a sermon called Dear God. It's based off a song that I wrote this past year. And we've got that song available on iTunes, Spotify, as well as we just released a new music video for it on our Victory Worship YouTube channel. So we're putting all those links right beneath the sermon in the bio for you to go check out, go listen to it. Make sure you subscribe to the Victory Worship channel. I hope you enjoy this sermon. I know it's gonna encourage you. Let's get right into the message, Dear God. If you got a Bible, you could go with me to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, yeah. Turn to someone next to say, Dear God, help us all. Have you ever said that, Dear God, Dear God, my God? And um, this song that I started writing last year really came from a place where I was praying and, and I was thinking about just that idea, Dear God. Uh, this was before we found out we were pregnant. But after we found out we were pregnant, I was saying, dear God, again. <laughs> I was excited, but five kids is a lot. And um, oftentimes when I go through moments that you know, are, are either moments that I'm trying to figure out how are we gonna get through this, how are we gonna make it, I come into the church and I usually come in and sit down at the piano and start singing, praying. This is kind of a quiet place for me or, or I'll find a room here in the church where maybe there's a piano and just start kind of writing and singing to God. And there's always a story behind every song. Every song that you've ever heard, I promise you there's a story behind it. It may not be the greatest story, may not be the story you were imagining, but every song, whether it's written by a Christian artist, secular artist, every song has a story. Even, even the children's rhymes, even the little kids' rhymes, they all have a story behind the song. And for David in the Bible, oftentimes he would write from whatever he was walking through and he gave us an entire book of songs based on stories in his life. It's called the Book of Psalms, 150 chapters. The, the most chapters in any book in the Bible is this book called Psalms, which is really just songs to God, prayers that turned into songs. And those prayers that were songs came from seasons and stories from David's life. So when I was starting to learn music and my mom and dad, you know, signed me up for piano lessons or guitar lessons when I was a kid, I oftentimes would open up my Bible and go to the book of Psalms and, and I would just sing whatever Psalm David had written. It wasn't until I got a little older, I started realizing God wants me to write my own Psalms. God wants me to learn how to sing out to him. And so David gives us a blueprint about this in the word. It's in Psalm 69. He says, um, we'll go to Psalm 69 verse one. David says, God, my God. Save me. I love David's honest, vulnerable cry. He says, Lord, save me. I'm in over my head. How many of you guys have ever felt that way before? Right? And you, you could take off your, your mask today, your COVID mask or your church mask, whichever one you want. But David was saying, I, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not having the best week of my life. I'm not in the best season. I'm, I'm in over my head. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. I'm feeling a little stressed out. In fact, he says, quicksand has come over me, swamp water. I feel like I'm in the floodwaters. I'm going down for the third time, he said. I'm hoarse from crying out for help. I've lost my voice. I love that David was so bold to be honest with God. Why was David so bold to be honest with God? Because he knew God would not reject him in his honesty. God is more attracted to our vulnerability than he's attracted to our success. He's more impressed with our, our, our need for him than our uh, pretending to, to have it all together, right? 
So David says, God, I need you. I'm losing my voice. I'm, I'm losing my sleep. I, I don't know what to do. I'm searching for hope. He said, I've got more enemies than the hairs on my head. People who are lying behind my back, slandering me, a knife up against my back, asking me to give back something I didn't even steal. God, you know every sin in my life. You know. You know, you know, Lord. My life's a wide open book. It's a journal that you found and you've read every page. I'm hurt and I'm in pain. Give me space to heal. I love David's prayers. He's just so brutally honest. And so this last year I was sitting down and I was in the worship center. I was by myself and I was reading some of those Psalms. And, and to be honest, I was having a very intense week. There was just a lot going on and it seemed like every, every day it was like more intensity, more stuff to, to deal with, more pressures. And I was trying my best. I was trying my best. In fact, I read this week this, um, this book that was called Prayers from Kids, Honest Prayers from Kids. And the first page was a prayer from a nine-year-old boy. And he said, dear God, I'm trying my best. And that was it. I thought that was such a powerful prayer. Dear God, I'm trying my best. And that's what I said that week. I said, dear God, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to be a good dad. I'm trying my best to be a good husband. I'm trying my best to be a good pastor. I was reading things online. People were calling us out for for having church in person and having a conference in person and didn't agree with how we were handling the pandemic. And, and I was so overwhelmed and stressed and I, I felt like, Lord, I feel like I've got more enemies than the hairs on my head. People who don't even know me who are judging my motives, assuming everything about me. And in that moment, I felt like God was saying, come into my presence. Come and sing your heart out to me. In fact, that's what David said. He said, let me shout your name, Lord. Let me praise you. Let me talk to you. Let me sing about your greatness. And so I sat down here and the first words out of my mouth were, Dear God, dear God, I know you know, because you always know. And that was the first line I had. And I came home and I shared that with Ashley and she was like, well, what does he know? I was like, he knows everything. She was like, what do I need to know? I was like, you need to know that I don't even know what God knows. All I know is that I've got all these emotions and I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed and I'm trying my best and I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do. And the Bible says only the Lord knows the depths of a man's soul, a woman's soul, that God searches and he knows our thoughts, our motives, our feelings. He knows what we're going through. He's the only one who truly knows us not even your own spouse knows you as well as God. Not even your own parents know you as well as God knows you. He created you in your mother's womb. He knit you together. Not only does he know every single thing about you, he's the only one who can heal the wounds that no one else knows about. He's the only one who can solve the problems in your soul. No person can do it, no drug can do it, no vice can do it, no uh, adding more things to your schedule, becoming busy. Where do you go when you don't know where to go? Who do you call when you look on your phone and there's not a contact on your phone that you're excited to call? Where do you go? Who do you text? What do you do when you don't know what to do? That's what Dear God is about. And this sermon is about drawing close to the only one who can truly bring healing to your soul. That's what David learned to do. In his deepest moments when he was chased down by his own father-in-law, 
when he was dealing with the rejection of his own brothers, when he was overwhelmed by his own sin, when he was feeling neglected, when he was wondering if God was ever gonna come through on some of the promises, the dreams, the visions in his heart, he went to God. And he gave us all of these Psalms. In fact, I love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, because he's the only one. Dear God, I'm crying now. I need you now. Like the ocean needs the coast. Like an orphan needs a home. I need you, Lord. God loves it when we say that. Sometimes our theology doesn't allow us to say that because we go, ah, I don't want to say I need him because I already have him. But from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the prayers, the laments, the cries, even Paul the Apostle, God, I need you. I need you. God loves that cry more than you walking into church going, I'm good. Hey, can I pray for you on anything? No, I'm good. I'll pray for you. I don't need your prayers. I'm fine. God is, I think God's heart breaks when we come across like we don't need him. I think God leans in even more to our lives when we actually get honest and we say, Lord, it's been a tough week. God, I don't even know how to navigate COVID-19. I don't know if anyone's on board with the decisions I'm making. I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. And God goes, yes, I love that kind of honesty. I love when you call out to me like that. Psalm 69, 32 says, the poor in spirit. Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard the poor in spirit before? We heard it on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, Jesus's first sermon. The poor in spirit will see God. The poor in spirit will know who their God is. All the God seekers, they, they will experience God's presence. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to know that you need God, that you are bankrupt without the grace of God. How many of y'all know you're bankrupt without his grace, without his mercy, without his joy, without his salvation? So like the ocean needs the coast, like an orphan needs a home, I need you, Lord. Cause there's no one else who knows Oh, the depths of my soul And you love me still And you love me So, oh, so You love me You love me You love me so David would sing to God and he would find peace and rest and joy when he got real with God. We don't get healed when we hide what's really going on in our lives. God already knows. When you stop hiding, God can start healing. God already knows what's going on with you. If I could put your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your sins, your struggles up on the big screen, you would be like, I'm never coming back to this church. <laughs> Because the reality is we've all been there. 
Just because a bird flies over your head doesn't mean that it made a nest there. But yeah, all of us have crazy thoughts that come to our mind, crazy feelings, emotions. And David dealt with that, but David actually poured himself out to God. And God loved him. In fact, God made sure that that book was in the Bible, right in the center, Psalms. Prayers to God. Not every Psalm in the book of Psalms was written by David, but over 80% of those 150 chapters is David crying out to God from when he's a little boy all the way up until he passes the crown off to his son Solomon when he's in his old age. God invites us to seek him, to know him, to draw close. In fact, we got these journals out in the lobby. They're Dear God journals. And when I was really little, um, my, I watched my dad. I would come into the living room, and I, I, I'll never forget this. I was thinking about it the other day. I would come into the living room. My dad would be in the living room with the journal open and his Bible, and he would just be writing thoughts, writing prayers, writing questions, writing his feelings, his emotions. By the way, journals aren't just for girls. They're for guys, too. Real men journal. I'm going to get a T-shirt that says that. Real men journal. Dear God. But my dad, he would journal. He would write down his... How many of you guys journal? How many of you guys have, have journaled before? I'm telling you, there's something powerful. I think it's a spiritual discipline. I really do. You're not going to necessarily find those words written out in Scripture. But God told Joshua, meditate on my word day and night. Ponder it. Think about it. Process it. Let it get inside you. This is how David would, would process the pain of his life. This is how David would get from one season of demotion to the next season of promotion. Even when David was on the highest mountain of his success, he was journaling to God saying, God, I don't want to forget that you're the one who got me here. I don't want to forget the miracles you did. I don't want to forget that you pulled me out of the miry clay. You lifted my feet up upon a rock. You are my fortress, my strong tower. You are my salvation. God loves it when we open our hearts to him. I would watch my dad do this, and, and as I got older and I learned how to journal myself, my dad would encourage me, Paul, write down your prayers to God. And when you read a book or you read a story in the Bible, write down what God was saying to you. Someday you might use it as a sermon, but even if you don't, someday you'll look back on it and remember what God was doing in you when you were 13 years old. You'll remember what God was doing in you when you were 16, when you went on that mission trip, when that girl broke up with you, when you crashed your car, when you got into that accident, when you were at that friend's house and something bad happened. Journal what happened in those seasons because you'll look back and someday you'll be thankful that God brought you through all of that. And what he was doing when you were 16, 17, 18, 22, 23, 27, 24, when your dad died. You'll look back and you'll know God was with me. That's why David journaled. That's what this sermon is about, is drawing close to God and opening up to him and allowing him to bring the healing that only he can bring. So this song was birthed, really, during the pandemic. And I was sharing with Ash, I was just saying, Ash, I just feel like I'm in this moment where I'm, I'm trying to navigate for our church what we're doing, and I feel like I'm hearing things online of people who don't agree with us, and I'm battling the opinions of people. And, and God used this song to set me free from trying to win everybody's approval in the last 12 months. And I stopped worrying about whether they thought the church was essential because God thinks the church is essential. And I stopped worrying about whether they thought we should be open, having church in person. And I started going into the, the presence of God. And I started journaling these songs. In fact, in the last 12 months, I've written more songs than I've written in one year of my life. It's just like God's just kind of turned on the faucet and it's pouring out. I don't even know how to turn it off. I don't want to. I just want to keep on writing. I believe God wants to write through you. 
God wants you to fill up journals. Your journals will be testimonies to you in years to come. Your journals will be testimonies to your kids someday. Your journals will, what you're writing about in this season as you're crying out to God like David did. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we go, well, we're not supposed to put ourselves in there. It's only for them. Why would God give us a Bible if he didn't want us to find ourselves in there? To say, I I relate to that. I've been through that. In fact, throughout the Bible, David wasn't the only one who journaled. Every author in the Bible journaled. That's why we have a Bible, because Moses talked about it. Joshua wrote down his stories, his thoughts. Esther, Mordecai, Nehemiah, crying out to God. Jeremiah, God, I don't know what to do. I'm not the best preacher. I'm afraid of their faces. God speaking to Jeremiah, don't be afraid. I knit you together in your mother's womb. These people who wrote this book, they were not perfect people. They were flawed people. People who had roller coaster emotional weeks. People who walked through painful seasons. But as they would journal and open their hearts and say, dear God, something's not right. Dear God, I need you to help my family. Dear God, I just wish we could get pregnant. Dear God, my kid's hurting. Dear God, my wife. Dear God, my husband. Dear God. And as they would cry out to God, God would meet them in their prayers. And I think the church has lost the art a little bit, but I think we're regaining it of how to cry out to God and how to hear from him and how to be vulnerable and brutally honest and broken before God, because that's what God's looking for. In a world of chaos and disorder and insane confusion in our own nation and laws being passed that we don't understand, We can either get mad and complain on social media, or we can open our hearts to God and say, dear God, save America. Dear God, there's something going on, and I don't know what to do about it, but I know you know. You're the only one who knows how to solve the problems. So God, speak to me in the quiet place. Go to God about the issues that you're dealing with. Go to God about the frustrations you have with our nation. Stop going to everybody else except for God. So often I'll look at my phone and I go, they can't fix these problems. Only you can, God. So I'm going to you. Everybody say, dear God. Dear God, I want to give you four points on how to draw closer to God, how to create your own dear God journal. Number one, open the door to his presence. I often see songs, prayers, worship as a a way of opening the door. When I sit down at the piano, I feel like I'm I'm opening the door to something. You hear that? It's like a door just opened. There's something about prayer and worship that opens the door to God's presence. And by the way, you can open the door anytime in your day. You don't need a piano, you don't need a guitar, you don't need a church service. I've learned to open the door when I'm just by myself with no no music at all. I'll just start praying, God, I thank you, Lord, that you're with me right now. God, I thank you that you hear my prayers. That's what David said. He hears our prayers, even the prayers we don't make verbally, the prayers in our heart. He knows our thoughts. And he says, come, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who opens the door, I will come in and I will be with them. There was a man who was going through a painful situation. It was Luke 8, verse 41. His name was Jairus. He was a pastor, a synagogue leader. He worked at the church, right? He worked at the synagogue where people would come to pray and study the Torah and go through scripture. And he came and he fell at Jesus' feet 
because he knew Jesus had the cure to his problem. Jesus was the real vaccine, right? So he comes to Jesus' feet and he's pleading with him. He says, please come to my house. Dear God, there's something wrong with my daughter. She's dying. She's 12 years old. Dear God, don't you care? What was Jairus doing? He was getting real about what was going on in his house. I'm going to come over here because this is the door I always come through when I come to church. And um, this door is locked on the outside. So in order for me to get in, I have to find someone who has a key or I've got to get a key myself, but I'm going to step out here. I can't get back in. Can you guys hear me out there? I'm locked outside the door. Can someone let me in? Yeah, just, just push the door open for me. Thank you so much. In order for us to come into God's presence, we have to find a way to open the door. How do you open the door to your heart? Some of us have closed the door to our heart for years. We've forgotten how to open it. To open the door, you have to be honest. Hebrews chapter four says, let us come boldly into the presence of God to receive mercy in time of need. You don't receive mercy unless you come with an admittance to say, God, I need you. Honesty opens the door. Vulnerability opens the door. Transparency opens the door. God already knows, but he wants you to call on him. So Jairus could have kept his problem to himself, but instead he opens the door and he says, dear Jesus, something's not right in my house. My daughter's dying. Maybe she's been dying for a long time and it just finally dawned on me. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to my own kids and now I see it. And I don't know what to do because I can't fix it. I don't have the cure. I don't have the vaccine. But I know you do. You're the only one who knows. Dear God, there's something about opening the door to God. And God says, yes, I can come and I can help your marriage. I can help your family. I can help your finances. I can help those problems that you don't want to tell anyone at church about. But you can count on God if you just open the door. David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. There's something about opening the door to God's presence, coming into his house. There's something, when I come into church, I'm telling you, things change when you get in God's presence. When you get in God's house, it is a place of power. It is a place of prayer. It is a place of communion. It's a place of faith. How many of you guys feel it when you come to victory? There's just a shift. Yeah, there's something about opening the door to God's presence. J. Iris knew he needed it. Jesus, I need you at my house. I need you at my house. I need your presence. My family needs it. My daughter needs it. So Jesus comes. And if you call on him, he will come. I put that in that song, Dear God, when I call your name, you come, Jesus. That's a promise that he gives us, that when we call on him, he hears our prayers. Jeremiah 29, 12. We all remember Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you hope in a future. But verse 12 says, you will call on me and I will listen to you. That is a promise, church. When you call on the name of the Lord, when you call his name, when you seek him, when you cry out to him, you will find what you're looking for. So Jairus came to Jesus. He says, look, something's not right. I need your help right now. So Jesus starts walking, but he's not the only one who's going to get honest and vulnerable. There's this woman who has this issue that no one else knows about. She's been hemorrhaging blood. She's been losing her life for 12 years. She's been bleeding. 
And she's kept it a secret, but now she's dying. No one could heal her because no one knew the true problem that was going on. She comes up behind Jesus and she touches the edge of his cloak. I'm telling you, when you reach out to Jesus, when you say, dear God, save me. Dear God, I don't know what's going on. No one else can fix it. No drug can fix it. No person can fix it. She reaches out and immediately the bleeding stopped. And Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? And his disciples said, Jesus, there's people everywhere. There's crowds all around you. I think God wants us to feel alone in a crowded room sometimes. I think he wants us to have an encounter with him more than he wants us to see all the faces at church. He wants us to come into his presence and he wants us to have that one-on-one -on -one encounter like this woman had. Jesus said, someone touched me. Everyone else was bumping into me, but someone reached out with faith. Someone reached out with vulnerability. Someone reached out with their issue. They weren't afraid. They didn't hide it. And when you stop hiding, God can start healing. And Jesus said, who touched me? Finally, the woman realized she couldn't hide it any longer. She said, dear God, it was me. Dear God, I, I've had issues for 12 years. These issues have caused a lot of pain. And it's been affecting other areas of my life. Because I thought it would just affect this area, but now I, I haven't been able to get pregnant. And then no guy wants to marry me. And then this is happening. This is happening. All these issues are connected to this internal issue that no one else knows about, but you know. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, not only are you healed internally, but I'm saying you are whole, daughter. Go, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. When we open the door to God, not only does he do internal healing, he does a healing of the entire soul. Not only does he heal the body, but he heals the things that no one else sees. Everybody say, open the door. Dear God, I need you. How do we open the door? With prayer, with worship, with honesty. Honest prayers. Brokenness precedes the miracle. God is more attracted to your vulnerability than he is your success. He's more attracted to your weakness than he is your strength. When you are weak, his strength is made perfect. He already knows you're weak. He's just waiting for you to admit it. He already knows you need him. He's just waiting for you to stop acting so piously righteous, like you've attained your own salvation. He wants you to remember where your hope comes from, not from yourself, not from your good deeds or your memorization of scripture, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved. Number two, in order to draw near and to truly experience a dear God encounter, you gotta close the door on distractions. I remember when I was 12 and I, I'd done my first piano recital and I'd worked really hard, took lessons from Miss Edison and um, I had been working for, for a long time on this piano recital and there was 100 people that showed up. We were over in the Victory College building that used to be at 81st in Delaware and I was so nervous, right? I'm 12 years old and 100 people in the room. I dressed up, I had like a nice like suit on and I looked spiffy as a 12 year old boy, combed my hair over to the side and um, I looked out in the crowd and I saw my dad, my mom, my sisters, my brother, my grand grand. And uh, by the way, grand grand turned 97 this past week. Happy birthday, grand grand. It's amazing. She's doing healthy, doing well. But I was so nervous and I cared so much about everyone's opinions. 
So I got up there and I started to play the piano and, 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 and this is how it sounded. I literally hit like tons of wrong notes and it was terrible. And I froze and I wanted to cry and I didn't even wanna look at the room because I just felt like I had messed up in front of everyone. I failed at my piano recital. But I looked over at the only eyeballs that I was most concerned about looking at, which was my dad's. And when I looked at his eyes, he was smiling with two thumbs up. And I was like, I don't deserve your two thumbs up. I'm unworthy. I messed up. I failed. But he was going, you got it. You got it. You got it. And I went back. I play better when I'm not listening to all the opinions of everyone else. When I'm only listening to the opinion of my father. caring about everyone else's opinions and approvals, that's when we can really lock in with God. And I think sometimes, for me, I get distracted by, like Peter, I get distracted by the wind and the waves, by the other disciples who are watching me. Am I doing it right? Am I handling the church right? Dear God, I'm doing my best, but maybe I'm not good enough for these people, or maybe they're assuming things about me that aren't even true, or maybe they're reading into stuff, and, and now I'm trying to win their approval, I'm trying to defend myself, trying to convince someone else to accept me, and I, I remember when I was in high school, I tried out for the church worship team here, and I didn't make it, and then I tried out a second time, and I still didn't make it, I tried out a third time, and every time I was like, Dad, this is your church, you could let me on the worship team, He's like, it's good for you to be rejected. I was like, what? You need to be rejected. He's like, no, it's good that you, you're not making the worship team. I was like, how is that good? He's like, because God's teaching you. He's humbling you. I tried out four times, auditioned. And every time I would show up, there would be three people behind the table, like the voice, you know? They'd turn around, but they wouldn't hit the button. 
They'd be like, you're out. You didn't make it. American Idol, you're canceled, right? And I was so stuck on the auditions four, four times in a row, and I wasn't making it. Either I just wasn't good at singing, wasn't good at piano or guitar. I just wasn't making it. And I took that audition mentality with me into everywhere else. So when I started preaching as the pastor of Victor, I felt like I was auditioning for people. I was trying to be the best version of my dad. So I was wearing clothes that he wore. I was wearing his own shoes. My mom had given me a pair of my dad's shoes, and, and I was auditioning. And, I, and when I wrote this song, Dear God, I was reflecting on moments in my life where I felt unworthy, unqualified, unequipped. I felt like I was the wrong pick, like Gideon, when God showed up to Gideon and said, you're a mighty warrior, and Gideon said, I'm the weakest in my family, I'm the youngest in my family, I'm the wrong guy, dear God, pick somebody else. But God always picked people who needed him the most. He didn't pick the smartest or the strongest, he picked whoever was vulnerable to say, God, I need you so much. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And I remember after a year or two of auditioning as the pastor of victory, someone came up to me and they said, you don't have to audition. God gave you this role. You're not, you're not auditioning for our approval. Stop auditioning, cancel the auditions. God is the one who puts you in this role. You are called to pastor this church and he has already approved you. And I remember that permission where I finally stopped wearing suits. <laughs> And I started wearing clothes that I felt comfortable in. Because I was wearing suits. My wife says, that's good. <laughs> I was wearing these suits and ties thinking I've got to win my parents' friends' approval because they all saw my dad in a suit and tie and nice shiny black shoes. And I got to dress just like him and sound like him. And, and God was saying, no, you don't. The auditions are canceled. You've already been accepted. You've already been approved. Shut the door on distractions. They didn't create you, they didn't shape you. Don't let their assumptions or their conclusions or their judgments try to create you. So Jesus, when he got ready to heal J. Iverson's daughter, watch this, this is in Luke chapter eight. It says, someone came from J. Iris's house, and I want the keys to come out, and said, your daughter is now dead. God's too late, the miracle can't happen. I wonder who's told you that. You're never gonna get married, you missed your train, you missed your opportunity, you won't have kids. You're gonna be stuck with this addiction the rest of your life. I wonder who's told you that your situation is hopeless. Sometimes we have to shut the door on our own thoughts because it's our thoughts and our judgments against ourselves that is keeping the miracle from happening. I don't know what you've told yourself or what lies you've listened to, but God is not finished with you. God is not finished with your story. God's not finished with your song. God's not finished with your testimony. God's not finished with your marriage. God's not finished with your daughter. God's not finished with your husband. God's not finished with your son. God's not finished with America. God's not finished with Tulsa, Oklahoma. God's not finished with Victory Church. God's not finished. And whatever lies you've kept inside the room, it's time to kick them out and shut the door on the distractions. Jesus shows up and he says, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. People were telling Jairus, don't even bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. This thing won't turn around. There's no way. There's no way your family's getting back together. There's no way you're having kids. There's no way this adoption's gonna work. There's no way you're gonna be free from this addiction. Jesus arrives at the house of Jairus and it says he did not let anyone go into the house with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's mother and father. Why? 
because not everyone had the same faith that Jesus had. So he had to shut the door on some people that were trying to talk him out of a miracle. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing, mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, she's just asleep. Sometimes you have to shut the door on every thought that is holding you back from whatever God has called you to do. Every lie from the enemy. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The, the voice that matters the most is God's voice. I've had to learn, even when we started opening up as a church and I was writing the song, Dear God, because I was feeling overwhelmed by social media comments that I was reading and someday I need to preach a sermon called Don't Read the Comments, but first I gotta live it out because right now I still read the comments. I'm getting better at not reading the comments. But I was reading those comments and people were saying the most vile stuff to me, just making up so much junk. And I was trying to defend myself. I was like, no, no, that's not even true. You're tagging the wrong guy. I didn't do that. What are you talking about? Our church was there. We were helping people. We were doing the best we know how to do. And I was feeling overwhelmed. I was like, dear God, I need your help. Dad, what would you do if you were here? And I was listening to all these voices and, and I just heard God say, Paul, they, they don't know. And they didn't shape you, they didn't make you, they didn't call you, I called you. And I felt like this overwhelming presence of God just canceling all the accusations. He's the only one who knows and he's the only one who can heal your soul. I heard the Lord say, Paul, you're doing the right thing. If the liquor stores are open and the cannabis shops are open, the church is way more essential than any other organization on this planet. Stop letting everyone else's opinions discourage you. David would cry out to God when he felt rejected and overwhelmed and stressed out. He would say, God, the floodwaters are engulfing me. I'm overwhelmed. My family doesn't understand me. People are saying things that aren't true. And then he would say, oh God, my soul finds rest in you. You are my strong tower, my fortress, my refuge, my salvation. So here Jesus is in the house with the only people who need to be in the room. And he says, your daughter's not dead. And he takes her by the hand. And this is my third point here. Stay in the room long enough for healing to happen. Stay in the room long enough. Sometimes we're in such a hurry to get out of church, and I know it's 1227, if you have to leave, leave. But I have to finish this sermon. Because I feel like if it's just for one person who stays in the room, it's, it's, it's worth it. Sometimes I'm in such a hurry to finish things, to get out of things. I, think, I do everything back to back to back. I keep the schedule so busy, so tight. And this year, I've, he I've heard the Lord say, linger longer. Linger longer. Linger longer. Stay longer. Stay longer. When you sit down at the piano, don't run after 10 minutes. Don't book another meeting. Linger in your journal a little bit longer. Read that book, Redeeming Love, and, and read it for a while. Get lost for a while in the scriptures. Get lost for a while in your prayer closet. Stop running from thing to thing to thing that you're missing the moment to just be in his presence. Stay in the room till the miracle happens. Jesus stayed in the house, and, and in that moment, he laid his hand on the girl, and he said, young daughter, my child, get up. I love in verse 54 that he says, my child, my child. 
In other words, you are not what they have said about you. You are not your condition. You are not your addiction. You are not your problem. You are not your diagnosis. You are not what everyone else has said about you. You are my child. When he said, my child, get up, something inside her leaped. And her spirit returned. And she stood up. And Jesus gave the daughter back to the parents. He stayed in the house. I remember when I was in seventh grade and I was at youth and I was wearing this Raiders, Oakland Raiders hoodie. And, uh, and I was wearing, you know, like jean coat jeans and Vans. And I was, I was a cool teenager. And <laughs> youth got out and my best friend, his parents pulled up and they said, hey, we wanna, we wanna take you over to the adult service because it's still going on over at the school. And I was like, why? And they were like, because your parents told us to come and get you and bring you over there. So I was like, okay. So I hop in the car with them and with my friend come over to the church service here inside the school building, 77th and Lewis. And as I come in, I'm hiding in the back. This preacher was preaching Tim's story and he was doing like prophetic words. And, and he calls me out in the room. He says, hey, you with the Oakland Raiders hoodie on. And I was like, I'm probably the only one with an Oakland Raiders hoodie on here. And I looked up and he said, come up to the stage. I don't know who you are, but God has a word for you. And I did not want to be in the room. I wanted to leave right then. And I came up on the stage and he, he just started prophesying. And his prophecy was not condemning. A, pro, a prophetic word is never meant to condemn someone. It's mean, meant to bring life to someone. So when someone has a prophecy for you and it's just all damning and condemning and, and, and cruel, like that's not from God. God always gives life. He always breathes hope. He always gives uh, uh, guidance into a greater future, right? So, so all of a sudden he starts prophesying. And man, I just... I fell to my knees and I literally just closed my eyes. He didn't touch me, didn't pray for me. There was no like knocking out. I just, and two hours later I get up and everyone's gone from the room. I'm like, where did everyone go? And I realized I've been here for two hours and I was crying and I felt the Lord. It was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. You don't get burdens lifted off of you when you run out of the house before the breakthrough happens. Sometimes you need to linger at the altar a little bit longer. Sometimes you just need to go to the prayer room and stay a little bit longer. Number four, share your story for his glory. When it's the right time, someone needs to hear about what you wrote in that journal. Someone needs to know what you walked through and how you came out of it. Someone needs to hear your testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Church, we're gonna walk in victory in 2021. But I'm telling you right now, your testimony is needed in this hour. 2021 is not meant to be a year of more busy distraction activities. I'm telling you right now, listen, the goal for our church this year is not to do activity after activity after activity after activity after activity. The goal for our church this year is to grow more intimate with Jesus, to have encounters with God, to be a purpose-driven church, not an activity-driven church, which means we're going to linger longer at services. We're going to spend some more time in worship. We're going to take some time to really pray. We're going to really be purposeful and intentional about what we do. And we're not going to just do anything and everything that comes up on our plate. And when we have a story to tell. We're not going to hide it. We're going to share it because someone needs our testimony. Someone needs to know they're going to make it. Will you stand your feet all over this room? Someone needs to hear your story. Some of you are right now in the middle of a dear God moment. And I, I wrote the bridge of that song as I was feeling this release of the burden. I started writing those words in that song and you lift me up and you raise my head and you <laughs> Call me 
out. You pull me out of the darkest night. Now I'm forgetting the lyrics. But I started writing those words because there's this moment in Psalms where David, everything changes. It's like his whole world flips upside down. I love that God used people who were real just like us, flawed just like us, people who were broken and just needed his mercy, his grace, his help. And there was a moment where that song shifted for me. And I said, God, I'm, I'm coming out of this, whatever this depression is, this confusion, these feelings of frustration. And it wasn't long. It was like a week or two, but it was enough for me to write that song and and reflect on God showing up. And I felt like I needed to share it with you because some of you, you're in the middle of it right now. And God's saying, I wanna pull you through this. I wanna heal you. I wanna restore you. I wanna lift you up from the miry clay. I wanna set your feet. I wanna give you a psalm to write about. I wanna give you a prayer, a song that you can sing. I wanna give you a testimony that you can share. So I want us just to bow our heads, close our eyes all over this room. If you're here today and you're saying, dear God, Something's not right. Dear God, something's been off in my soul. Dear God, my daughter needs healing. Dear God, my wife. Dear God, my husband. Dear God, my mom's in the hospital. Dear God, things aren't right at work. Dear God, I need you. God says, yes, yes, yes. Don't hide that. Don't hide that. That's what I'm looking for. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro across the earth for anyone who's seeking him, saying, God, God, I'm calling on you. God, I'm asking you for your mercy, your grace. If that's you across this room, just lift your hand. He knows. Maybe it's a prayer you've been praying between you and your spouse. Maybe it's something you've been asking him for. Maybe it's something you need help with right now. Maybe it's a struggle that you're facing. Whatever it is, you're here today and you say, that's me. That's me. I need to, I need to get real with God. I need to let God know. He already knows, but I want to say it out. I want to seek him. I want to bring the need to him today. I want to allow him to bring the healing in my heart. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God and I want to get right with God. Today's your day to do it. He can heal. He can restore. He can save. He can redeem. He can transform. He can set you free. If that's you, lift your hand today. You're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need God. I need Jesus. I need his salvation. I need his forgiveness. I need his freedom, his healing, his transformation. I need him to show up in my life. If you raised your hand for either of those or you need prayer, I want you to just leave your seat. Come and join us at the altar today. God wants to meet you right here, right now. If you need healing in your body, if you need healing in your heart, come and join us at the altar today. You are not your condition. You are not your addiction. You are not your issue. You are not your sickness. You are not your diagnosis. You are a child of God. Come on, let's cheer on bold men, bold women. Husbands, wives, dads, moms, college students, teenagers who are saying, dear God, dear God, I need you. Dear God, I want you. Dear God, I'm inviting you in. Come to the altar. Come and find healing. Come and find hope. Come and find rest. Come and find grace. Hebrews 4 says, let us come into his presence. Let us come to his throne room and find grace in our time of need. God sees you, he hears you, every tear you cry, every prayer you pray. And he says, yeah, come on. Come and join the Broken Hearts Club. Come and join those who know they need a doctor. The great physician is in the house and he's ready to heal. He's ready to restore, whether it's mental healing, emotional healing, relational healing, healing of the soul, healing of, of, of a family member, 
Whatever it is, he says, yeah, bring it. Bring it, J. Iris. Bring it. Let's talk about what's going on in your home. Let's get that thing solved. Let's change what's happening in your life. Let's stop hiding. Let's stop masking our problems. Let's get real this year. Let's experience the healing encounter of Jesus. Lord, I just pray right now for every person at this altar, every person who's watching online. God, I thank you that you are a close God, close to the brokenhearted. You said in James chapter four, if we draw near to you, you draw near to us. You said if we humble ourselves and confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And you heal and you restore. God knows what's going on in your family. And he says, I love you. I'm with you. I don't reject you. God knows what's going on in your mind. And he says, I, I know. And I love you. And I'm with you. And I'm for you. And I'm going to help you. And you're going to get through this. And this is not how the story ends. Yes, Lord. Just say this with me. Jesus, I need you. Dear God, I'm crying out for you. Today, I receive your healing, your joy, your peace in my mind, in my heart. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayers. I'm drawing near to you. You are my God. I repent of sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation, your grace. Lord, use my story for your glory. Let it be a testimony for others. Let it bring you glory. God, I'm all yours. I need you. I want you, Lord. In every part of my life, I surrender. Have your way in me. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, God is doing something right now. Come on, he's on the move. He's on the move.